Alright girls and boys, the pairings are done and the rounds are up. C4 Squad presents the Rounds Are Up podcast, an AMG-focused podcast to get you gaming, chatting, learning, hanging out, and perhaps even hosting some awesome rounds of Legion Armada, X-Wing, Shatterpoint, hobbying, and more. And the more this week, people, is some FFG Twilight. To join me talking about that specific and other games that we just mentioned is good friend Curtis. Okay. Good evening. Great to be back again. Shame I missed out on the weekend, but at least I've got you guys to help me live it out. Oh, we will live. You will live through us. And the other living person to help us out on that journey is neighbor Nick. Sorry, I just <laughs> I just choked on getting that out for some reason. Are you not neighbor Nick? Is it not you? <clears throat> no, I'm Fl- I'm Flanders number three tonight. Flanders <laughs> number three. <laughs> God, he's, he's, someone's cl- he's tripolar. Someone's cloning <laughs> in the background. Bunch of Flanders. Yeah. Uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, we're going to get into some, as I mentioned, Twilight and some Shadow this week. But before we do that, as always, we got the plugs. Alrighty. Thank you. Look, join our Patreon. We really appreciate the support of the guys that have joined so far. Everything that you give to us in support goes towards helping the club become bigger, better, stronger, expand on what we've got, um, hopefully purchase new equipment to be able to do new things that will uh, enhance the experience for everybody involved. Uh, would like to thank specifically our top tier Patreons. We have Geonosian Drone Cal, Sith Lord Brendan and Joel the Mad Titan, who between the two of them, Brendan and Joel had a fierce battle on the weekend. Uh, repping back through some episodes from last year's season of The Rounds Are Up to answer our Patreon-only exclusive giveaway. And our winner was Sith Lord Brendan. Came through with the goods, got the correct answer to the quiz, and he earned himself a nice Nice. handcrafted resin dice box. So, well done, Brendan. That will be heading up March 2nd. Uh, and if you can't collect it, I'll pass it on to one of the local admins. All right, we've got uh, upcoming events. We've got our Maitland Good Games on the 24th of February. We have a Legion event being, I believe, run alongside the shop and Joel. I believe Joel is organizing that one. Uh, de- more details for those to come. I believe lists need to be submitted a couple of days before normal deadline. Okay, so Friday. I know Friday it was a couple before. of days beforehand for the last event. Yeah. Uh, we also have our first Legion event of the year coming up called Imperial March number two, also on the 2nd of March. Uh, I believe we have, I think it's one or two spots available at the moment. We d- We have had one player drop so far. So it is still open. Um, we do also have a potential May the 4th event coming up as well. We will leave that in all of its mysterious Star wars mystery. And we do also have good games at Top Ride. They do X-Wing and Shatterpoint Thursdays. And Games Cube for Legion on Thursday nights as well. We have... 
as of the last couple of days, established a Gamescube channel in our Discord as well. And you can come check it out and participate in our awesome community that is going on online. Yeah, and they are a great group of guys down there. I went to a tournament the week before CanCon, and yeah, very, very nice atmosphere. Good group of guys, really enjoyed every single game. And our, um, I think our Spaniard, Michael, likes to play out of there too. So if you want to meet the infamous Spanish division of C4, the one and only, uh, I think that might be the place to go. But for now, well, humble Nick. after all those beautiful little plugs, yeah, humble Nick. Humble Nick not so humble anymore. He's starting <laughs> to go into a dominating path, isn't he? Um, the calm before the storm. So, moving into this week's Custis quiz, we have Pabs and Nick locked at one each. So, I thought this week, because they're actually tied up and because Pabs looked heavily dominant in our second week's quiz, I thought I'd step it up and ask what I reckon are actually some pretty difficult questions for you guys. So what I'm going to do, <laughs> we're going to, I'm going to give you guys quiz mode. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to give you guys two opportunities each to answer some of these questions. Mm -hmm. um, you won't know before the question, whether or not you get two opportunities for it, but you will potentially get two opportunities for a question, Ooh. which means that say, for example, if Pabs gets it wrong, it's Nick's turn next. He gets five seconds to answer. And then after that, Pabs gets five seconds to answer. So it'll be like quick fire, second opportunity. So yeah. Anyway, Sounds good. first question. Remember names of your buzzers? Off we go. What year was Star Wars Legion released? And a bonus point for whichever player gets the correct month. Flanders. Yeah. 2019. Incorrect. 2018. Correct. Do you have the month? It was released on the month of October. Incorrect. Flanders, if you can get the month, I'll give you a point. Uh, let me think. I know it was roughly around the time I was wow. playing Warhammer Underworlds a lot. Um, I'm going to say September. No, perhaps you get one more shot. Ooh. It's a one in 10 shot now. <laughs> All right, May. <laughs> I was thinking May as my second choice. Oh, March. It was actually released on my son's birthday, five years <laughs> prior to him being born. Wow. I only just realized that. <laughs> That's nuts. Okay. I just had five years to his, his age and I know how old Legion is. Um, <laughs> all right. Same thing. Okay. Two opportunities. When was X-Wing released? Currently Pab's up by one point for getting 2018 for Legion. But when, when was X-Wing released? released? Keep in mind for Nick, it's older. <laughs> yes, I know it is significantly older. Um, uh, Flanders. Yeah, go. I'm going to take a stab at 2014. No. 20... I appreciate the bravery though. 2012. Correct. Do you have a month? Ooh. Okay. I didn't know it was that early. April. No. Flanders, you got a month? I'm going to go September <laughs> again. <laughs> no. Pabs. One out of 10. Here we go again. Oh. Repeat. Well, considering it was March for Legion, why not March? Nope. August. 
That's why I was like, <laughs> when Nick goes September, I'm like, oh shoot, that was close. <laughs> so All close. Right, hands up by two points. We have, uh, did, we have did, three did, questions did, left. Okay. When was Armada released? <laughs> I think it was like between the two, wasn't it? I think it was after X-Wing, but before Legion. I think yeah, Armada I think, is older I think than so, Legion. Yeah. 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 Right. Anyway. Yeah, easy. I was working in a, in a, yeah. Okay. So this question, I'm expecting someone to get this right pretty quick. Which famous actor who starred as a boxer imitating Muhammad Ali recently died? He was also known for playing the role of Grief Karga in the recent Thanks. Mandalorian series. Flanders. Yeah. Who was Flanders. Carl Weathers. Yep, correct. There you go. 2-1. He's bumped himself back. I was like, what's boxing get to... Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know the character he actually... I'll give you a bonus point if you know the character he played that was supposed to imitate Muhammad Ali. The Hurricane? No, that was... Uh, I Washington. have not watched Rocky for years. Was he in Rocky? Apollo Creed? No, it wasn't Carl Weathers. That was the other guy. Correct. Correct. Carl yeah. Weathers was Apollo Creed. Yeah. Yeah, it was Carl Weathers. Apollo Creed yeah. was based around Muhammad Ali. It came to Sylvester Stallone when he was writing the script originally before he was an actor. He was watching uh, Muhammad Ali fight against a guy known as Chuck Wepner. And Chuck Wepner just would stand there and cop punches to the face and just could go the distance. He lasted the entire boxing match. Um, so lost on points, not TKO or anything. Um, and yeah, that's where Rocky was born from. Mm. Trivia, oh, okay. trivia, trivia. So we have 3-1. So we could still end up with a tie here if um, if Nick can push push the envelope a bit. This is a good one. I don't know if you guys are going to know this one. <laughs> Who was the first to be trained by the priestesses to manifest themselves as a force ghost? This is one of those random questions that's slightly beyond the movies and all games, but it is in it's in canon common somewhere. TV. Oh, yeah. really? It's, it's in common TV. You can actually watch in one of the series. You can actually see where it unfolded. I don't know. Uh, yeah. I don't know either, so I'm going to take... Do you want to take no, a step no, first? <laughs> there is a McClunky here, so if you get the wrong one... You'll lose a point. All right, I'm just going to say Yoda. Why did you let him talk him into doing it? Because he could have lost the damn point. That's your McClunky. <laughs> Yoda was the second. Yoda was guided by. Well, this I didn't even person. know he was the second. It was a. It was a guess. Yoda was guided so by this again. person. It was Qui Gon. Yoda took over because Qui Gon got killed. So Qui-Gon was supposed to ah. be what Yoda became in the end. He was supposed to be the guiding spirit of the light side because mm -hmm. they could sense that the dark side was rising. Um, but then when he got killed by Maul, they were like, well, crap, we need someone else. So Qui-Gon had learned to manifest his voice, oh, okay. but so, not... So there were no force, there were no force ghosts in, in history before that? No, Yoda was the first. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Well, theoretically... But, well, he was the first to be, he was the second, no, because Obi-Wan debunked it, because Qui-Gon, if you have seen Obi-Wan, I'm not going to say anymore. Um, all right, <laughs> yep. last question. In The Force Awakens, Finn shouts, that's one hell of a pilot. Who is he referring to? Pabs. Go. Poe Dameron? Correct. 
That's when Poe uses an X-Wing to shoot troopers with pinpoint accuracy in a spread of bullets that really shouldn't even be possible when flying in a straight line. <laughs> um, all right, so Pabs has taken that one out again, another landslide. I actually tried to structure that one, Nick, so that I thought that you could try to get away with it, but Pabs has, Pabs has come through with the years. I mean, I shot myself in the foot because Pabs held my head and shot me in the foot. <laughs> yeah, he held oh. the gun for you there. You pulled the trigger. You, you should have just told him, no, nah, mate, you go first. I, I was waiting for you to push back at him. It would have got him down to 2-1 and you could have just sat there and gone, yes, I could guess anyone now and it's not a McClunky anymore. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, now that's all over and Pabs has now got the upper hand. He's 2-1 now from our three weeks of the quiz. We're going to move into View My Unit. All right. So this week's View My Unit, we are going to look at Shatterpoint. And I figured, why not jump into somebody who is just one of those intriguing characters within the Jedi universe? Uh, Jedi Master Mace Windu. And I say intriguing because everyone is always going on about his purple lightsaber. The theory is maybe he is able to um, channel the dark side of the force and aggression within a controlled manner Yay. to enhance his fighting technique. Others say, well, I'm just Samuel Jackson. Give me what I want. So what we're going to do, we're going to bump through his card real quick. So we have a tactic ability, rush to action. At the start of this unit's activation, choose another allied Galactic Republic unit. Each character in this unit may dash. Excellent tactic already. Something that the droids have that not a lot of the Republic has. So being able to get a free move out of activation is outstanding. Tempered Aggression, which is a reactive ability. Looking at when a character in this unit makes an attack after all attack and defense dice have been rolled. This unit may spend any number of force to use this ability. Roll one miss result in the attack for each force spent. So if you're mm. at the end of your activation, you can just tap every single bit of force roll, every single miss, and hope for the best. Reroll. Rerolls in Shatterpoint are common. So yeah. That's quite strong. Yeah. So that's excellent already. I think there's only one other character at the moment I can think of, uh, and it sits within. I think it's Cody allows rerolls mm. when people have hunker tokens. Uh, we have an innate ability, Shatterpoint. Okay, and this is what Mace is most commonly known for because he was known as a Jedi Master to be able to sense shatter points within the realm that he resided within. So he could sense where a turning point within the Force existed. When this unit is chosen to activate with a shatter point card, if, it is, if its active stance is Form 7 Vapard, it immediately makes a focus action and characters in this unit have Impact 2 until the end of the turn. If its active stance is Jedi Master, refresh two force, which is massive, and one character in this unit may heal three. Now, that's huge because... That's huge. Yeah. When you look at his Jedi Master, okay, his Jedi Master is actually his more defensive stance. So realistically, I don't know what most people think of, you can flip a card once per activation. So you could always start in your uh, your form seven, and then at the end, flip it over to Jedi Master. Or, in preparation for the Shatterpoint, that is sorry, 
or if you're expecting to maybe activate him with a shadow point because you maybe reserve his actual card deliberately starting Jedi Master. So there is a little bit of control there, mm. which is pretty mm -hmm. uh, Then you've also got his final ability, his, uh, his characteristic, his identity ability. This party's over. While a character in this unit is engaged, aka when he's slicing up Jango Fett, allied Galactic Republic characters within range 5 have steadfast and protection, so they can't be moved, and they also negate one damage each time they're taking damage, which is amazing. He's got 11, uh, 11 wounds and 3 stamina, mm. so quite durable in that sense. You're never removing him from the board unless things are going extremely wrong and the game is maybe moving quite fast. His trees are quite good, can pump out quite a bit of damage. Um, I think his Jedi Master tree is pumping out eight damage at maximum. And then you got his Form 7 is pumping out, what, seven, uh, 11 total, which is excellent. I think any primary character that can be pumping out upwards of, um, upwards of nine slash 10 uh, on either side of their battle card, on their, their battle trees, is 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 quite strong. You look at his defensive stats as well, being able to change hits to misses, crits to misses, uh, being able to reposition, adding additional blocks. Um, it's massive. And then you look at his lightsaber expertise tree as well. He's only getting crits. I mean... Yeah, five plus expertise is only giving you three crits, but crits are a sure thing. Guaranteed. So that means Guaranteed. if you're getting those three, yeah, you're guaranteeing at least four wounds minimum, depending on the side of the card you've got. Yeah. Uh, if you've got three crits going through and you're in form seven, you're doing seven damage. You're wounding a secondary or a support yeah. most times. So... Yeah, quite quite a strong character. Personally, I was looking at maybe pairing him with the new Vader because I bought the new Vader. We'll talk about him a bit later. Um, I was thinking about pairing him with the new Vader purely out of the fact that he can just really, really slap. But he's got one real weakness. And the big problem with him is the fact that his... Um, his card is just points wise. It's really, really difficult to run him because he only can take six squad points and he only gives you three. Uh, he gives you the four fours, but he gives you only six squad points. He's the first to be under seven squad points, mm. which means it's very difficult to run him with anything that does not come within his squad box. And that's a hard part. Mm. That's a hard sell. Mm. But four fours is still not bad. I think his abilities make up for it. Um, I know you guys have dabbled in a bit of Shatterpoint. Any, anything that you've seen that you like the look of or things you'd like to add that you've seen so far? Yep. He seems to have the same offensive power as um, first release Vader and Grievous, um. at least from what I remember from playing it. Like that seemed, Obviously, he's a Jedi Master and is meant to kind of emulate that level of power and control and also his defense is just regardless of which stance you're in he's either bringing blocks down into misses or just um blocks down into into hits and, and then yeah. block into a reposition like he just seems like a really good character on top of his abilities as well especially shatterpoint shatterpoint is huge 
yeah, being able to add two additional dice, you go down to that five, seven again, that means you're rolling nine, well, that means you're rolling actually 10 dice when he attacks with a melee attack when he's in form seven because your impact adds X number of additional dice once you make a focus action to melee attacks. Yep. So he's getting two because of impact two, but then he's also getting the one because of the actual focus action. So that's pretty decent. And the idea of being able to heal, he sort of like takes a step back and becomes a little bit like a Yoda or Luminara style personality. He becomes a little caring because he's refreshing force and he's trying to help his buddies out. Uh, he's not the aggressive type of guy. So I think it, I think it really sort of speaks for the way that he knows how to change his personality and approach as far as, you know, the ebbs and flow of battle and what demands what of him, you know, that Shanpoint ability, I think just sort of embodies that with the way he's set up. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm actually kind of keen to run him, uh, eventually at some point. I, I deliberately bought the box last week. Oh. No, that may not have been the reason why I chose him. But anyway, <laughs> there you go. Jedi Master Mace Windu. Next shadow point, you can expect uh, somebody that does not have the Galactic Republic keyword. It will be someone different. That's how we will organize our units. We'll work our way through the primaries, then into our secondaries, and then into our supports. And we'll just cover one from each of those, like, era-style words such as galactic republic separatist bounty hunters etc okay just to try and spread it out so everyone gets a little bit of a little bit of a taster plate that's it for view my unit uh fellas i think you have something you really really would like to talk about something that you managed to enjoy that i missed out on what's happening well on saturday at the Central Coast Leagues Club, we held another Twilight Imperium Day, the Fall of Rex, and it was another great day of TIing. I have so many <laughs> moments of like looking across at the other tables and seeing what was going on there, and like experiencing some, <laughs> you know, kind of not envy, um, shared kind of situational. Like, oh my god, they're using like the actual cover the actual covers of boxes of the game boxes to roll dice because they're rolling that many that's how big the engagement is you know it was insane oh, yeah. to see them rolling in the top of the twilight imperium box which is not a small box it is a big box it's a big game so you know just tells you about how <laughs> how massive some of these engagements the engagements are and how much interest there is in them how about you nick how, how will you sum up your day um, long, exciting, uh, very, very, very tech heavy. <laughs> I'll put it that way. Very what heavy? Very tech, very tech heavy. heavy. I was playing Universities of Yonha mm. and every turn I was researching two tech, regardless of whatever was oh happening. My. From the beginning of the game to the, till, till the last turn, I researched two tech every turn. Okay. Take heavy it is. So we were oh, yeah. 18 players over three tables playing Twilight Period for it's like 10, it was 10 hour day from my memory of when we ended up finishing up. Uh, shout out to Cam who brought his uh, Lazy Susan setup, which was like, you know, the prestige that's like table one, top table play, you know, 
one day I'll be part of the Lazy Susan Brigade and have a chance to play on that super cool uh, setup. Yeah. But it wasn't this time, but that's okay. I'll get there. I'll make my, I'll pay my dues. But do you want me to just make you one? I don't know. I'm still waiting on my Armada template, my friend. Where's, where's that thing? Well, if I'm correct, I recall actually telling you <laughs> one Thursday night when you're at Top Ride, bring your Armada gear in. I'll bring my measurement stuff in and my notebook. I'll take all the measurements. I'll set it all up and then I'll make something for you and we'll see how we go. I haven't seen you bring any Armada gear in on a Thursday night yet at Top Ride. So, all right, well, that's a later discussion. I'm just, you know, <laughs> it, it, it is a significant investment. And I hear he's working on 2.0, so I can't wait to see that sometime this year. So, yeah. Mm. But again, we had some great times, but I want to talk about specifically what we now have in the lead up to even getting to that Saturday game. So big shout out to Daniel Dowling, who's been organizing a bunch of things in the background, along with Matt Pascoe, C4 Originals, and Adam, our big, very friend, Brown, who's been doing a lot of things in the background because, you know, he likes to optimize things and do things. But we got to draft our you know, our slice as it's called, sorry, I was, I was mentally blanking there for a second, our faction and speaker, <laughs> right? That's true, Nick. Yeah. Slice faction and position. position. That's it. That's it. But what I, and we've done that before and it's usually been like a bit of a spreadsheet and you pick one or two for last year's fundraiser we did. It was like, you would pay for like a second pick or a third pick, which is all well and good. It's lovely as an issue, but there's this new setup where it's all graphicals. I think it's part of that async play, which I'll get to in a second, but it's so nice to be like on a, on a, like, um, automated website where you look at what the slice is, what it contains resources, who your neighbors might be. And I'll get to why that's important in a second for who I was playing on the day. And it's just, it's like another meta game going into the actual game. Cause you can chat about it. You can obviously suggest things to people. You can start bargaining hidden. And this is the core of two eye. And this is what I actually do like the most, which is interesting now that I've had chance to play it. You know, it's my third game of in-person TI and the bargaining and the discussions and the suggestions and the things that I could get for this or that, or $1 or a favor or a future favor, or you told me this and I told you that, oh man, it's so much fun. I, I don't know you about you, Nick. I don't know how much you like, you know, the whole dice rolling and the combat thing or getting to that sort of last stage victory point who's going to win. But to me, TI, the most enjoyment I get at TI is that sort of. Uh, bargaining interaction, pre-game, during game, even towards like, who's going to get the win and how can you either help or distract from that? Oh yeah. It, like for me, I like all of the personal little interactions that you have with your neighbors and then trying to persuade and change the other side of the table and what's going on. And you've always got action cards that are always hiding out in the background. And for example, I had my immediate, little, immediate left neighbor was Yasaral Tribes. That long story short, your Sorrel Tribes is little goblins that just like to hold on to every single action card known to man, and they have no hand limit in regards to how many they have. Normally, you can only have seven, and they can just really screw things up for everyone. So I was his neighbor, 
And unfortunately, he didn't have much experience playing the game alongside also playing Yasaro Tribe. So I was just like, hey, do you want to play this action card? I'll, I'll give you a trade good to, to, to help me out with this. And so he'd just do it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd, just, I'd be able to get benefits for it. But I'd, I'd also just, I'd give him a cheap trade agreement yeah. for universities of Yolnar. Because one of my promissory notes is if I research a tech and he's got that promissory note, he gets the tech that I research for free. Mm if it's not a faction one. Yeah. So yeah. I was able to pedal that out to people all the time. Nice. It was nice. great. Nice. And yeah, uh, Daniel on our table is playing that faction, the action card faction, as I call them, because to your point, they can have so many action cards. Any combat you go into with that player, you have to be like, overwhelmingly in your odds. You have to bring so much things just because they can play so many action cards that stop damage, force you to leave, uh, stop damage again, you know, improve their morale for their role. So you, they just kill everything that you bring. And, you know, you, you, <laughs> you don't know what they got. This is like, they got like, they're like a magician. The little things that come out, like little wishes. They've got the, they've got their own deck of cards. Yeah, essentially. That they just have access to because they've drawn so many. Yeah. So look, I want to talk about my faction because in classic me style, I was like, I'm going to do some, you know, research and be ready and whatever. But essentially prep your turn huh? one. Prep your turn one because you can you can do everything. You can prepare everything for your turn one. And then after your turn one, you can't predict anything. Well, yeah. So that's kind of like my usual strategy, but I even that I was like a bit like, oh, I'm sure I'll, I can, I can kind of figure it out. And then when I actually read what I did, because I read when I was drafting my faction, they called the Mentac uh, of something, but I read it as Mentat from good old June. So I thought they were going to be like a bunch of calculating androids or something. And they're not, they're pirates. One of their faction abilities, one of their special things that they do is called pillage. Pillage, you know, how provocative is that to go into a TI game and go, look, I'm not going to be a mean, but I'm just going to pillage because that's what I do. You know, you can't get away from that, right? So pillage is actually like more playing like the tax man. Basically, you have neighbors. Anytime they do any sort of thing that gets them money and they've got a certain amount of money, I take a slice of that. I take one dollar, basically, of their one trade good. And I got to tell you, like... I'm generally a nice player. I don't even like sort of being evil characters in, you know, D&D &D or RPGs, right? So, like, having to put my hand out every time someone made a bit of money and go, look, yep, that's my dollar. Now, there is a bit of an action you can do with your agent, which makes it a bit less painful because you can give them an action card and you can action card as well. So, it's both good for you. But there were times I was doing this pillage free action, like, Five or six times, or no, there's only six plans. Like, you know, five times in the rounds because they were trading, they were getting money. And I was like, I'll take my dollar, I'll take my dollar. You get on each other, on other players' nerves so quickly when you play this faction. Like, it's, it was amazing about people were like, you know why I picked this slice? Just to be far away from you, Pabs. Oh, you, you can't trade me up because Pabs will take <laughs> his money. Or oh, you can't do this because Pabs will take, so like, like the first two rounds is just all me, me, me taking everyone's money. And it was fascinating, like having to go, you know what? 
can you give me this? I want to take your money for a couple of things or, you know, we'll have a long-term agreement and stuff. Um, yeah, playing the pirates was super interesting. Not sure it's me, but it was super interesting being the guy who's like, give me money every single round. Nick, how did you like the, uh, tech heavy university dudes? Uh, universities of Joel Nard, they're, they're great. I played them at our admin day. So that's where I got my first experience with them. That's also where I got my first experience with the goblins because that's who Adam ran as my neighbor and mm -hmm. he had mm -hmm. a deck of his own. But I ran Joel Nard. Um, I had the lucky experience that not many people on the table had versed Yolnar before so they didn't understand how how influential it was for me to ramp up in tech really fast is actually very dangerous so um one of their faction abilities is when someone does technology and you want to do the secondary if you spend your strategy token you can do the primary of technology instead so the primary for technology is research tech and then spend six resources to get another tech. So I can do two a turn. Wow. And my faction's agent ability is I can sacrifice infantry in lieu of resources. So I can just kill my own guys for the progress of science, mm. basically. So I can pump that out. And there was a agenda that came out in the big game that was Minister of Sciences which is uh, elect a player. So the, the whole table has to elect a player, and that player, if elected, does not have to pay any resources when they research technology. <laughs> you do not want to give that to the Yolnar player. No. So I spend all 15 of my trade goods and my research agreement, and I think two promissory notes, and handed it out to everyone at the table that would vote for me, and I won. <laughs> so I didn't have to, I didn't have to pay for, I think I didn't have to pay for t 10 tech for the rest of the game. Someone took tech. I got two free tech that didn't cost me anything because they actually gave wow. it to me. So I was super loaded. Look, I played my cards right. I took trade back to back two turns oh, in a wow. row. And I just loaded up on money and was just able to roll in it. I had two war sons at the beginning of turn three and rolled them right up to Mechatol. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, you touched on one of the classic moments in our uh, game where we pulled one of those agenda cards that you get at the end of the round. And we pulled what was called, I think it's Exclean Artifacts, something like that. And this thing is crazy. And, you know, I think it was Matt on our table who been playing for a fair while. It could have been Matt. It could have been maybe Lovecraft somewhere. But he's like, I actually never seen this come out before. And I find that spectacular to think that, you know, someone's played Twilight for so long and still be surprised by some of the cards that come out. I mean, there's big stacks everywhere. So, you know, it's not impossible in that sense, but it just it speaks to the depth of the game. But yeah, this thing, you got to vote whether or not you want to basically investigate it. And in investigating it, you get to, well, you don't get to choose. If everyone votes for it, there's a chance that basically it explodes and kills everything on that tile and then kills three things of all the tiles that are around it. So, you know, big kind of thermonuclear explosion. And 
I got to say, when I first heard this, I'm like, oh, we're going to vote no. No one's going to do this, right? Like, it's ridiculous. You're going <laughs> to, I think it was, uh, you know, UK Nick on our table who had his war sign and a bunch of things. I had a bunch of things in, in the stuff next to it as well. And it's like, he's going to lose all this. And no, everyone wanted the drama because the flip side is if it doesn't explode, everyone gets two free researchers or two free rules. I can't remember what it does exactly, but... Uh, I had to roll our speaker and I rolled for blowing it up. And man, the, the effect on the table, it completely changed the game. You know, Nick was in a very strong position. He had a bunch of stuff on the Mechatile Rex. You know, he was pretty solid. I was supporting him onto his left. And, I, and suddenly it just emptied out the center of the table. It was amazing that effect of that agenda coming out and everyone on the table being ready to just see what happened and being super psyched when everything just blew up. It was amazing. Yeah, I just looked it up. I've never heard of it before. It's called Ix Ixthian Artifact. There you go. Um, speaker rolls a dice, a, a d10. On a 6 to a 10, each player gets 2 tech. If it's 1 to 5, all units in Mechatorex system get destroyed. And each player with units and systems adjacent to Mechatorex system destroy 3 of their units in each of those systems as well. So you just nuke the center of the board. <laughs> And everything around it. Yep. Yep. Now I understand why everyone was going crazy that was behind me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the other great explosion is that, again, UK Nick was playing Muat, who basically at a certain point when they upgrade their war sun, it becomes easily a Death Star. Or maybe more like, I don't know, there's another sci-fi story I'm thinking of. But basically they create a supernova in any system outside of our home system so what nick ended up doing is rolling slightly across the board to uh luke's slice and mute a significant fleet out of existence and it was also amazing to watch because there's there's no dice rolling it's just basically roll up with a war sun nuke everything and then suddenly only nick can go in that spot and he can start producing out of that spot. It's basically like a new home system for him. It's an incredible uh, ability that the Muat have. And I'm not sure how, like, Nick made it look easy. But, yeah, I'm not sure how <laughs> how much forward planning there is for it. But, yeah, it's another, another moment of, like, really transitioning the board. Because we all thought Luke was not done for, but put him in a vastly under uh, you know um underdog position for potentially taking out the game which then who did win at your table <laughs> given that context well luke took it out it was such a stealth win because uh lachlan who'd been quietly establishing his base can't remember which faction he was again but he was like the prime he was also the playing yolnar as well oh he was there you go. Yeah, because we were both Yolnar players, and we were both we were, at the beginning of each game, uh, table's games. We were trying to see how our turn one and twos were going out because we were playing the same faction. Oh, nice, nice. Okay, well there you go, another Yolnar, and you know he was basically poised to win, right? He had secured <laughs> one of those legendary planets that scores you a victory point so you know he was in a very good position to do you know public and a you know a a pro, uh, secret or the the two 
uh, the public objective that's called two victory points instead of one, as you get later in the game. And everyone just decided to basically deny him this to maybe extend it one more round. And he was like set up. He had like what's called PDSs, planet defense systems, and he had upgraded those. So they roll heaps of dice. It's like walking into a, a barbed wire artillery line that, you know, will shoot you from the next system over. It just shreds everything that comes near it, but still three players in all their armadas across and managed to get to it. So it was now someone else's, I can't remember who ended up taking it. And I was like, all right, next round. And then Luke, who had been, and I don't even remember exactly how he did it, but he like had stuff up his sleeve with like shards and artifacts and collecting the crown, the scepter, the throne of the specific history. I mean, he was just like sitting there, like pimped out throne room with everything you need to be properly royal. And he just pulled it out. Stealth. Scored the points. Won the game. It was such a unexpected turn. Such a narrative kind of, you know, jump scare. <laughs> Why is that? What? How did he win? I was going to play another game. I mean, another round and maybe score another point. But yeah, well done, Luke. I think that was his second game. So brilliant that he managed to pull out that win. Oh, wow. He did well. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's second game. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I saw him at the fundraiser because he's the one who actually, I won the Prophets of Kings expansion. And he came out to me, how much for it? I'm like, I don't know. How much does it cost? Like, do you want Dora? Just give me 50 bucks. So yeah, he bought it for the club. Uh, so yeah, shout out to Luke for uh, both being super generous and supporting the club with a great game like TI. And yeah, it was amazing. It was go. a great turn. How did your one end up, Nick? Um, so overall, so we had, uh, we had Yolnar faction on our table. Uh, we also had Titans of, I believe it was Titans of UI. Uh, Yasara was my neighbor. I had Akan as my other neighbor. We had the Nas Rocka on the opposite side of the table and the Winu as well on, on the other side of the table. Winu being a faction that likes to sit on Mechatol and their whole win condition is basically sitting on Mechatol. He got there, I believe he picked Warfare first turn and got on it at the end of the... I think he got... No. I think he picked Warfare in the second turn and he yeah. got got on at the beginning of turn two. Right. But he started on it for a while. Uh, the Nazrocka player was the most experienced player on our table. He's the faction that only needs two relics to purge for an artifact <laughs> and everything he does is about re-exploring planets for more artifacts to be able to get that's um, that's uh luke's fragments that was, of artifacts that's what luke was playing yeah and he went absolutely berserk i think by the end of the game i think he had seven relics and was constantly researching planets <laughs> for um for fragments and mm-hmm exploring over and over and over again and he just amassed a huge pile um he was comfortably i think four points in the lead of everyone else at one point while everyone else was lagging behind and it came down to one of the last turns where the hakan player was trying to fight back on his flank to get the nazrogka out of his system which he was trying to which we know now trying to score a secret objective and then he decided to move on to Megatol Rex to get me off it. And because of the timing, as I've learned, Assault Cannon goes off right mm-hmm. at the beginning of combat mm-hmm. and it follows the active player first. 
Mm. So he had three ships. I had three ships. Ooh. He assault cannoned me, which then I don't get to use my assault cannon because I don't have three ships anymore. Ouch. So I was then at a, at a 3-2 deficit where he had two war sons and a dreadnought, and I only had two war sons and no dreadnought. So, and I rolled poorly, and he went through my sustained damage, and they went down. <laughs> um, then we had our, our Titans player who'd been comfortably sitting in his home system, scoring objectives, took Malice, was just doing his mm -hmm. own thing most mm -hmm. of the game. And he rocked up and nuked one of the Nas Rodka planets that he owned. And we thought nothing of it. We're just like, oh, yeah, it's it's basically the end of the game. He's just nuking it for something to do. And the Nas Rodica player didn't realize that he actually nuked a planet that actually had a VP on it due to a relic and an agenda. Mm. And he didn't realize that until it came to scoring because at the end of the turn, he's like, all right, I win. I score this, this, and this. And the Titans player's like, no, you don't. I nuked that planet. So it's actually removed. It is completely destroyed. So you don't score that VP. And he was absolutely just surprised that he didn't realize that happened. Yep. So then when it came around to three players couldn't score and it came around to the Titans player, he then played a public and a secret objective and he won. <laughs> just underdog out of nowhere and yes. just took the win. Yeah, that is so good. He, he did very well. He, uh, I didn't engage him in combat at all. Um, he was my left neighbor's neighbor, so he wasn't on the opposite side of the table, but he was far enough away. But it was it was not a very combat intensive table. Mm. I know I've heard a lot of people say that Twilight Imperium can either be very diplomatic and there's very rarely any dice rolled, or there is dice being rolled all the time. Yeah. I would comfortably say it was a middle ground mix. There wasn't much combat. Okay. I started the first major combat by moving on to Mechatol Rex in turn three. Mm -hmm. But and that was against a massive fleet, but he didn't roll very well. And I assault cannoned one of his ships with all of all of the tech I had at that point <laughs> and rolled in with research war stuns and just nuked the place. So Yeah. Unfortunately I couldn't hold it. I wasn't able to get a, a PDS or a space dock down, so I wasn't able to produce anything mm. to hold it. Yeah. So, yeah. Things to learn. That was only my third physical game of TI and I love it. Like the days are long, they're exhausting. I had, I had a headache for most of the day, but you just power through. Um, we all, we all broke. We all, I think we all roughly took a break for lunch roughly the same time. I think it was about one thirty. Everyone kind of got up and went and had lunch mm, together, mm. and everyone was chatting about what was going on at their table. Yeah. And whatnot, and we all got our big group photo not long after we all came back from lunch, and. Yes. It was just it was just a great day. I I it's so much so a great day. Every time I come back from a physical TI day, I'm thinking of when when can I play TI next <laughs> in person. It does grab you that way. It's always that. It does so much. Like those It does. I've like I can still talk about like, you know, other things that happen on the day that are still like, you know, surprising to me from a, like how narratively it came out and how you discuss it. Honestly, my and I enjoyed all the day, but my least kind of favorite, if I had to like scalping is actually towards that end where there is a lot of, you know, there's close encounters from a perspective of who's going to get VPs. So a lot of like, in a sense, downtime as you wait for other players to 
get into it, maybe a major battle and roll all their dice and see how it's going. But it's very minor compared to what else you get to do during a game of Twilight Imperium and how it just constantly surprises you with those interaction of it's like plus 20 different factions you can choose from. Obviously, you can build the board in number way. I don't know how many actual cards there are in the freaking thing, but, you know, and agendas, it's, it's a super way of spending a day board gaming. Um, I just want to shout out. Uh, and there's 20, there's 25 factions <laughs> to choose from. Exactly. That's including the base game. Um, Prophecy of Kings and the Codex. Yes. So, like, that's just an absolutely massive amount of information that you have to take in. And you you can't have played against every faction, especially if you're new to the game. I've only played three games, and I've basically played a repeat of at least two or three factions on the table I've played previously. So, I mean, there are so many out there I still haven't played yet, or played against, played myself. And it's just, it's just a huge learning curve, but the learning curve is what makes the game fun because mm. it's all new and you've got to figure out a new strategy on the go. Yep. Oh yeah. hundred percent. So I want to thank Big D Daniel for printing out three war signs to give away one per table. Don't remember who won, but they are super cool war sign dice towers and you know, to have to display it next to your TI stuff or you just use the dice tower. It was great to have them. I want to thank him and everyone who came, rolled dice, made it a great day. I am also looking forward to the next time I get some TI time. But listen, we've uh, had some technical difficulties with Curtis, so we are going to miss him, but, you know, do him justice by moving forward and finishing the pod. Nick, do you want to take us into listener questions? All right, so listener questions from this week. Both of them are from James H. He's actually one of the guys I met at CanCon. His name is James Hassan. Mm. Um, he was my round five opponent. I got a very, very, very nice guy. We had a little personal challenge that just for some unbeknown reason, we just decided to just continuously handshake each other for the rest of the day. I don't know why. I think... <laughs> from when we met to finding each other at a um, at the Pheasant's Nest uh, roadside stop at nine o'clock at night, we we found hey. each other again and got our handshakes up to a total of fourteen that day. But great guy, <laughs> I love him. Um, if I can get, get more games against him, I will. Um, his first question are: Who are the Outer Room Rascals, and why are they so cool? Um, <laughs> my understanding is the Outer Rim Rascals are the Legion players that are based out of Parramatta, around Parramatta, run at the Games Cube, just like um, Humble Nick is. Um, I believe they, when they ran their event the week before CanCon, there were a few of them that attended that. And hmm. I don't know why they're so cool, because I've never actually attended one of your events before. I do apologize. Well, I'm sure, you know, it's a preemptive call and continual call. They just, you know, good people playing Legion and helping the Legion community uh, have some games. I think the other big thing is if you're handshaking that much with someone, they have to be cool, right? You, you can't avoid that. No, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. Um, and the second question, which is also from James... He says, this is a Legion question. 
being a Separatist player, it's more rare to see the Separatists and Rebels achieving the top half of wins in competitions. And he said, I mean generally, not ever. Why is this? Is it down to red versus white defense dice or more fundamental differences in how to play Gar and Empire versus Separatists and Rebels that work better or worse with game mechanics? Now, I Whoa. think personally, unfortunately, unfortunately, we got to break that one down a bit. Um, <laughs> I don't know whether it comes down to, at, a, at, a, at face value, what people just prefer to play in just you're always told in war games just pick what you like and go with that a lot of people like to play empire and a lot of people like to play republic without knowing much about the game that seems to be a lot of people's intro a lot of people tend to not go towards rebels and separatists to begin with but if we're going to talk about competitive unfortunately republic and empire just place higher because of the skill ceiling and also what people can achieve with the army with reliable results empires always perform well right. unfortunately we've got things like blizzard force two versions of blizzard force you got atst blizzard um with veers or officers and then you also did have the older version of blizzard force which was operative vader uh quad bikes hius but now that that was a routed out that you can't use operative vader and you've got to use commander vader commander vader still does well people know how to use him you get something like hostage or breakthrough with Commander Vader on the table, all bombing run with your with your quad bikes, it's it's hard to it's hard to burst. And with Republic in particular, people yes. are now f people figured out over the last six months how five and first works. And by I say figured out, I mean figured out in the Australian matter because I know that other mm. areas in the world have figured it out much earlier than us. But it seems also everyone at the same time has also figured out how to best run Yoda, Yoda Padme. Yoda Triple Barks, uh, Yoda Chewy. There has been a few people that have done Yoda Chewy very well. And more recently, the results coming out of LVO with um, Obi-Wan placing first as well. And not many people <laughs> not many people I know have played really? Obi-Wan uh, competitively. Yeah. It's been a while, yeah, since he's been topping stuff. Wow, I have to look up that list. Yeah, I, yeah, I think in particular what happened is... Someone found out that there is, with the wording of this CRB and how it changed last year, um, yeah. Obi-Wan's guardian and protector with his Sorosu mastery for defense, he's, a he's actually able to guardian dodge high-velocity bullets, which normally you can't dodge high-velocity because right. that's the keyword for high velocity. Yes. But the way that they yes. changed the keywords in how Sorosu works is Obi-Wan is the only person that can. Ah. So it makes Gar even more survivable because you've got Pierce mm. coming out red saves and Obi-Wan is the only person that can guardian dodge high velocity shots. So it makes him even more survivable. Wow. Yeah, I was uh, not across that. And to your point, that makes so much difference for a competitive scenario where, you know, that was such a reliable high velocity as a way of dealing with some of those, uh, you know, dodging, you know, stacks of dodges on the table. So yeah, that's fascinating. I can't wait to possibly yeah. get, uh, some, some table time Last with that kind of, I, yeah, cause that's the only one I bought that was actually painted. So. I can actually have a big 
uh, presence on the table there. That's super fascinating. And when you are looking at sort of, you know, mechanics as uh, James is asking here, do you think there are mechanics in the game that are benefiting Gaara Empire? Is cover working much more in their favor? I think what it comes down to is at a fundamental base level is if you have something like an empire or a gar list, everything in some form, if you're running, say, a typical nine, eight or nine act gar or empire list, everything in the army has a function. And whether, depending on that level of functionality that it brings to the table, they at least also have an impact on the game in some way, shape, or form. Mind you, I haven't played Separatists, but if I look at a separatist list, a standard one, not experimental droids or anything, you're going to see standard lists that run six units of B1s so they can order chain all the way down the table so you can have order control. That's fair. I understand why you want to have order control, but you've got six core units of B1s that only that throw out six white that don't surge, and mm. you maybe might run an E5 carbine to chuck in three black, or you might chuck in their missile launcher that also isn't the best i think it's impact too but it's not bringing much to the table mind you there have been people that have played separate as well you can say adam for example but adam yeah typically runs two b2s because he loves b2s but he also rings (laughs) he also brings pikes and he's also got his he's also got his t-series and tac droids out there to mitigate the ai keyword for the droids but yeah. what might be changing that as well is this new experimental droids battle force that has come out, which has fundamentally changed how, how you run them. Because as long as you're running it, um, I believe it's tax series droid with things with AI, you can spend these surge tokens to give them one, one of four benefits, which is either, right. I believe it's an aim, re- remove suppression, give them a black and a white dice, or increase the unit speed by one and you get three of these surge tokens every round and you can save them between rounds as well you don't have to spend them all and they do accumulate and Sounds it good. makes things a lot more interesting especially a lot of people have figured out that you can run bx droids very effectively a full unit of bx droids not just a strike team where you're running a droid yeah, yeah, and yeah. a sniper if you run a full unit you sure. get the sniper then you get the shields and then you've just got the whole unit behind them and they're doing very yeah. well as well. Interesting. Well, I think ultimately I think... it just comes down to, uh, sorry, um, it just comes down to practice and reps that you have hmm. and how comfortable you are with a faction. I think that's, that's always what it's going to come down to. It's the same with Rebels. I haven't had many games against Rebels, nor have I played Rebels very much, but I think it's the same thing as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, James, yeah. Yeah. cut that out. One twenty-six. So, James, thank you for your questions, and hopefully that made a bit of sense to you. What I hope that we can do in the future is actually bring on more Legion-ish players and get some good interviews in there for those sort of more fundamentals about Legion and its works. But yeah, appreciate you reaching out. And with that, we are out of time for this week's 
rounds our podcast. I want to thank my co-host at this moment, only Nick. Hello, you are welcome. I can also take the place of Curtis. All right. Say, say, well, and that why, you know, Curtis friend as well. Good boy. <laughs> and all of you for listening, come find the welcoming and helpful C4 squad on our Discord, Facebook, Instagram, and maybe someday YouTube stream. You never know. Links will be in the show notes. Take care. Well, well. And as always, C4. C4 for Flanders, C4 for Curtis. There we go. Thank you all for listening to the Rounds Are Up podcast by C4 Squad. Make sure to give us a review on your platform of choice and hope all of your roles are natty crits. Thank you and goodbye. <laughs> yes. Oh, Got to nice fill it in. Get in the seat. Yeah.